Welcome to BX19 Today. My name is Jess Noonan and I'm joined by my colleague Peter Jewell. Just a reminder to our listeners to visit our website at www.planningexchange.org for details on past and future podcast guests. Today we're joined by some very special guests, the infamous Dave Song and Dan Bowden from Song, da- Song Bowden Town Planning, or should I say the Terrible Twos, I like to refer to them. Dan and Dave are close friends who met at uni and bonded over a love of town planning and started Song Bowden Town Planning five years ago. Dan and Dave, can you tell us a little bit more about Song Bowden? And, and apologies for the corny introduction. But that's I know like, you. That's know. okay, Jess. Still coming to, to uh, terms with that love of planning. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, you're right. We met at, met at uni, uh, first year uni, and uh, always talked about working together at some point in the future. And, uh, yeah, after probably 10 years of after graduating, finally got together and started having some chats and then ultimately uh, merged uh, both of our businesses together. I think in uh, fairness, we didn't really talk about that at uni. We sort of more were um, enjoying each other's company. Out bonding. At bonding at yeah, bars, having fun. But it wasn't until was really. It was mentioned. It was mentioned. But one day. I thought it was sort of it was, There was someone else as well. There was three of us that were going to oh, yeah. start a firm. Remember Over that? how many drinks yeah, was that right. conversation? Well, I think it was sort of, it was probably more down at the TAB when Dan was laying bets on the dogs or something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we should try and do something together. But it never really uh, got off the ground until years later when we thought this is, you know, good idea. Good idea. And tell us, uh, what was the genesis, genesis of the merger? Well, I think that for me it was that um, I saw an opportunity with Dan that I hadn't seen with anyone else. You know, a good friend, someone that I could trust someone that I could be in business with and enjoy time with, grow something together with. Um, and, yeah, there was no other better offer um, to me at the time. It was, a good, I think, a good place for me to be and hopefully Dan feels the same way. Yeah, I think the other um, aspect was that both of our individual practices were very similar. So we were at similar stages doing similar work. So the, the combination of the two of them together wasn't a, a huge ask. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's a bit of, uh, you know, in this sort of a profession – uh, you find that um, sort of, I wouldn't say necessarily misery likes company, but it was a good fit and uh, we thought that uh, it was going to take us to different places than it has. So it's been nice in that regard. And do you complement each other in terms of skills? I think we do. Yeah, we've got different approaches, um, mm-hmm. often to the, exactly the same thing, but uh, that's a positive and uh, uh, our offices are right next to each other. So we often talk between the wall and bounce ideas off each other and I, I know I appreciate having Dave to ask some questions and vice versa and, and we do that in the office with everybody but, uh, yeah, especially early in the morning when we're in here or late at night, it's good to uh, bounce a couple of ideas off each other. I think we are quite different in the way we operate. I mean, Dan's a lot more um, – Dan seems to have a lot more on his plate than I do. I think I am sort of cruise around a bit more and Dan's always seems to be rushing around a lot more than I am. And so we, we work at different speeds but, uh, yeah, I think we do complement each other really well. I hope that the people yep. that work for us think the same thing. You work for a range of public and private clients with a particular strength in representing councils at VCAT. What has this invo- involvement sorry, taught you? Yeah, good question. I think um, to prepare thoroughly. I think that's the, uh, particularly in terms of VCAT, to make sure that you, you know your topic before you go in there and uh, remember your role and make sure there's no surprises. It doesn't uh, reflect well on, on you if you uh, didn't realise there's a planning scheme amendment that uh, there's a foot or there's a, an old scheme that you weren't aware of. So, uh, yeah, just that good, good quality preparation. Yeah. And, and is VCAT sort of 50% of your work? 
Yeah, I think as a as a practice, it, it varies between Dave and myself. Mm. Um, but as a practice, it's probably close to fifty, maybe even sixty percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that it's um, certainly made I think us better at being able to critically analyze things. And I know for me, the pressure of performing at VCAT always makes me want to be well prepared and uh, to sort of dig deeper for answers that you otherwise wouldn't look for. So I think that's made us sort of better in that regard. Yeah. So you also work on behalf of councils as well. Do you think that's um, given you particular skills um, in preparation for some of your private work? Yeah, definitely. I think when you have those conversations with a planning officer who's giving you a file to present, uh, it's good to understand the rationale behind why they've come to that decision. So being able to understand that and then present on their behalf helps you uh, when you have the time to deal with a, a private client and, and maybe even apply for something similar and to know what to look out for. Councils receive a pretty bad press as being anti-development. Uh, what are your general thoughts? Dave first. Yeah, look, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, I don't think that councils are anti-development. I know that a lot of people might say that they are the sort of the gatekeeper or often the naysayers, I think that they are now really looking towards good developments and there's been a lot of bad proposals before and it's normally those bad proposals that ought not to get permits anyway that end up being the examples where people say, well, councils are are anti-development. I don't think they're anti-development. I think that most of the councils these days have um, fairly well thought out policies uh, and controls in their schemes. They know what they want and uh, I think that's a good thing. So, I, I mean, I think that those days are gone where people say they're anti-development. You only need to look at all the planning schemes now and they've all got their identified change areas. They've got their new zones where they want to see development occur. But like all the councils now, there are different zones where different outcomes are expected and uh, you know, it might be said that some councils are anti-development because they've applied... Uh, you know, the neighbourhood residential zone fairly widely across their municipality. But, you know, again, that's more about just protecting character and ensuring good development outcomes. What is character, though? That's a good question. <laughs> going, Dave? Well, I mean, I, I've I never think... seen you shocked for words then. No, well, I was, I was <laughs> going to let Dan, a, Dan, a, Dan answer it. There's a practice note, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. What is character? Uh, I mean, What's character in your view? Well, I mean, I think that, uh, first of all, Every area has a character. Uh, whether or not you like that character or you think it's a good example of um, built form character is another thing. But um, I mean, character I think is influenced by uh, you know, buildings, but not just buildings. It's about open spaces, it's about the arrangement of buildings, heights of buildings, setbacks, but also the street alignments and the way they're done as well. So mm. it's a whole range of things. A lot of them are intangible. I think yeah. some of them are about you know rhythm and spacing and some streetscapes you'll look at and you'll say this is a beautiful street uh, because it's homogenous or because it's got uniformity in it. And other streets you'll look at and they'll be completely different, diverse, um, have no uniformity and you'll still say that's full of character. But mm. So they're all, I think character can mean a lot of different things but I think the important thing for um, planners to understand is that every place has a character. Um, it's about finding what that character is and then finding out whether or not what's being proposed in, in, in terms of new built form is sympathetically fitting in with that character. Good design, though, is, is still very much a contested notion, do you think? I, mean, I, do, I personally do think it is a um, 
contested notion. And um, I think that when it comes to good design, uh, and I know that a lot of people would say that planners ought not to be the design police mm. and that we shouldn't be looking at developments um, as closely perhaps as some planners do and doing that type of analysis. But I don't see how you separate that either from the planning process because it's very much a part of whether or not something mm. fits in. Um, has to do with the high quality design, the materials and finishes, and uh, it's ultimately a judgment call. Yeah, someone has to make that call, uh, and everyone has a different taste. So I think that there will always be a contest when it comes to um, what constitutes a good design outcome. Mm. I think following on from that, that one of the the issues I've seen in the last few years at councils is that expectation from planners to to see good design in terms of high quality architectural outcomes. So. Um, I think that first impression in, when you go and lodge a planning application to make sure that it's a proposal that, that is, is liked by the planning officers mm. is such an important thing now and, and probably more so than it would have been years ago. Yeah, and something that they're enthusiastic about. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. I think if you can make them realise that uh, this is a high-quality product, it mm. might not necessarily be their vision of what the character is, but mm. uh, a high-quality product goes a long way. But yeah. interesting, coming back to that question, though, about our council's anti-development, I think really important thing there is that very rarely would you find a council say this site can't be developed. So mm. every council is embracing development, but there's a, a disconnect often between what a developer might want in terms of a permit and then what council is prepared to give them. And yeah. that's what we find is the the, the two parts of the, of the scale. The, the, the officer might be prepared to issue a permit for one particular development that just doesn't financially work for a developer. So, mm. yeah, yeah I think right. that's an important factor. There's a bit of an imbalance, though, isn't there, fellas, between councils represent existing residents and they have to respond to that. It's the people who are trying to get in who aren't represented and that's what the developer's promoting. The silent voice there, yeah. And so a council may say, yes, the site can be developed, but their expectations they've put on that mm. are very, very modest and that stops newcomers. Yeah, issues of affordability as well down the track, yeah. I think a lot of that though, um, and I see this all the time when I'm working on applications, either um, lodging them with councils or um, running cases for councils, is that permit applicants I find often don't explain the narrative behind the proposal very well. So um, what I mean by that is that you often have an application that gets lodged that hasn't been properly explained to the officers and I think that that's something that's missing in the process. And whether that's by way of different material, you know, whether or not applications should be producing more of the um, analysis behind the design. Uh, I know that that sort of stuff all came out through you know, design analysis statement. and design yeah. responses. But you know, whether or not you show the massing models, the 3Ds, the montages up front, spend more time explaining it, then um, you might have a uh, not necessarily a better run, but you might have people on the other side understanding your proposal better and I think that would help the process. A lot of council officers don't have a lot of discretion though these days with all the you know, multitude of policies which set the outcome before they, no matter what they assess. And I mean, sometimes you can't even get a pre-application meeting. That's it's true. Difficult. Mm, it's true. So, so, the, so the level of um, awareness, does it matter if there's that not the discretion there? Uh, look, I, I think that there is always a discretion there, though. I mean, I think the officers, and I've, I mean, we've dealt with lots of councils um, throughout metropolitan Melbourne, and I've never really come across uh, a council officer saying to me that you just have to rigidly apply this 
to every proposal on every site. And I think that there is always going to be some flexible approach to it. So, I mean, I, I, I think that there is discretion when it comes to those sorts of things and the officers recognise it. Um, you know, I think that that's a, a you know, you'll, you'll find differences of opinion through different council officers. But, I mean, for instance, um, you know, working on policies that relate to different change areas within councils and some councils will say, well, you can only, the, the, the policy says you can only do this here. Um, uh, that's a perhaps a rigid approach that's not always taken from a site-by-site basis. Jonathan Gardner, in an earlier interview, described the interactions between developers, architects and governments as the dance. How do you see this process? A dance is the wrong description? No, I think it's a really good... Or just a melee? Yeah, I don't know if it's a dance so much of it's more of a scramble. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's more of a... I don't think it's a coordinated dance anyway. Silent disco? I think it's... Yeah, silent disco is a good way to do it. You know, people standing there and, you know... um, Swaying from side to side. It is. Look, I think it's collaborative. I think it's a collaborative process. Uh, it's um, the interaction, you know, is it a dance or is it more of a, um, a bit of a standoff? I think sometimes it's a bit of both. What's sometimes your dance style in that? My dance style? Yeah. Um, in, in, the, in the dance. I'm sort of probably more of a hip-hop dancer. Um, so I'll sort of stand in a particular position and, you know, wave my arms around. <laughs> And your R and B, yeah, probably not as aggressive in the, the dance moves as the uh, R and B. I'll start karate chopping. <laughs> so that's yeah, that's yeah. When I do my running man, mm, yeah, good, yeah. As always, I'd like to give a special shout out to our wonderful sponsor, Maddox, who are the lawyers to call when you need practical solutions to complex problems. When you need a compelling advocate for VCAT, planning panels, advisory committees, and higher courts on appeals, Maddox has got you covered. Please refer to their website at www.maddox.com.au for further details. Each generation thinks it's smarter or wiser than the previous generation. What do you believe future generations will think of our city-making approach? Yeah, I was thinking about this. I thought that just the number of hoops to jump through and I think in the, the time that, that I've been a planner, uh, the level of documentation that you'd lodge with an application and how that's changed and in thinking, well, has that translated into better outcomes? And I think um, we're moving towards better outcomes in, in terms of internal amenity, which I think is a, a really positive thing. But externally, I don't think there's necessarily a, a good correlation between all this extra work that's been provided. I think it still comes down to a good architect or a good designer preparing a, a well-understood proposal. And coming back to Dave's answer earlier about a good design response. It's interesting, the six-pack flat development you know, they, they've been criticised a lot by planners, but their internal amenity standards were very high. Mm. So what happened? You could, you could overlook any, any other property surrounding you, yeah. Plenty of light. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at the next door neighbour's backyard. But and again, providing affordable housing too, so. What um, trends in city making do you applaud and which ones concern you? Yeah, I think following on from that last one, the the changes in terms of internal amenity, so that mm. the scrutiny of, of these apartments and and uh, particularly issues of daylight and the like. So, uh, I think they're a step in the right direction. And uh, what uh, there's been significant changes in our cities in the last twenty years. What can we expect in the year twenty thirty six? Ooh, quite a good one. 
Um, I think that one what is of your things, best prediction? Well, I mean, if you're predicting like what's going to happen, yeah, you know, I think in uh, city making, which is probably a lot to do with the town planning process, I would have thought that looking into the future, well, people will look back and say that where we are now is has been full of um, hyperbole when it comes to matters of urban sprawl, um, when it comes to matters of um, being able to accommodate the population. And they'll also look at it, I think, at a time when they say, well, town planning back then was um, so controlled where it was always that people had to have arguments about the process for sometimes days. Uh, and that was very different. I think that's different. That, that'll be different by 2036. I don't think we'll be so reliant on, you know, the way and things we've been doing, well, the ways that we do things now with, you know, having the stamp plans and papers and, you know, we just, I just feel as though hmm. we're at that time now and we're going to change and things are changing already in planning where you can lodge applications online and the paperwork is probably going to get less rather than more. And I look back at this time and they'll say it was just full of paper and we were killing trees and all those sorts of things. I mean, when you think about the evolution of planning controls, it's been the opposite, though. The, this, as Dan said, there's been more and more and more put on. So why would it change? Why would it say, okay, we're going to have less? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that it will get to a point, though, where it will – well, I personally think that it will move away from that. The system will break? Well, I think that the system will be – I mean, it's planning, planning systems are revisited again and again. And every time they're revisited, it's an extra layer of control – uh, further complexity to make it more difficult to navigate, but it'll it'll get to a point I think where either um, the system will break, or where they'll say, um, you know, this isn't working to produce better outcomes. Do you think we need more planning research? Well, I, I don't even think that research is a bad thing. I always think research is, is, can only be a, seen as a positive thing. Um, Do you use research in your day-to-day activities? Well, I know Dan does. Dan's constantly looking at like Google for inspiration. So uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not exactly sure if we call it technically research um, in inverted commas, but uh, I think that um, when I come in in the mornings and I see him you know, voraciously digesting everything on Google, it looks like it could be considered research. Take that as a compliment, but uh, no. Look, I think I think uh, research is one thing, but I still don't think you can beat bums on seats in councils mm. to actually assist in moving through the process quicker. Um, yeah. I, I've always been a big believer that the more resources you can give the councils to, so that the, the, the dance can occur, we've mm. talked about before, so that there is um, discourse about what needs to happen to an application, so you can actually get onto a planner. Um, you can have meetings with them. Mm. Talking earlier about you can't get a pre-application meeting. Well more staff will assist in that. So mm. well-resourced planning departments, I think, is the best way forward. And, and if you could spend money on res- researching any urban development issue, what would it be and why? You go, Dan. Yeah, I, I come back to affordability. I, I still think what the delays that we're um, putting into a system that, that we've currently got and what impact that's having and all these additional uh, uh, costs associated with applications, whether cultural heritage management plans, uh, all the number of analysis uh, that you need to do to lodge with an application that's delaying applications and adding costs that are ultimately passed on to you know, sometimes first-home buyers. Uh, I'd be really interested to see what sort of uh, impact that that is having actually on the, the cost and how it would change if we had a more streamlined uh, 
system? I'd like to, um, if I was going to research something, I'd like to research something that's fairly, I think, current in the way in which people are thinking at the moment. So, for instance, something like the uh, apartment sizes. I'd like to go and find out from, you know, maybe just do a vox pop of people who live in apartments and live in an apartment that relies upon borrowed light or that lives in an apartment that is only 40 square metres or less and find out what their quality of life's like. You know, actually go through all these developments, see whether or not you can do an interview of people or at least hand out some sort of a uh, ticker box for yes, I'm happy, ticker box for no, it's poor in terms of amenity and start rating how people live mm. because you have all these other um, people like us or academics who are saying, no, you've got to be bigger, you've got to have more light, the amenity's got to be better, this is too small, how can you live in such a cramped space? Um, but, you know, the people who are generally making those comments are not normally people who are living in those places as well. Mm. So, and times are changing, I suppose, as well. I, if I had the money to do that sort of research, I'd be wanting to find out more about people living in high density. It's not hard. I mean, you can do Survey Monkey or whatever. I mean, those the survey processes are so straight easy now. Yeah, yeah, but that's not what's happening. That's not what that's not what's happening in, in New South Wales. That's not what's happening now in Victoria, mm. where you're finding that these sorts of changes to the apartment it, standards. It's a top down. It's a top down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rather than from you know bottom up. And that's where I think that if you're going to do the research, you'd probably find out some fairly interesting. I would expect you'd find some pretty interesting responses. But but maybe you forget one thing. Sometimes people don't want that research. They approach these discussions or outcomes with preconceived ideas of yeah. what they want. Yeah. And sometimes research gets messy. It yeah, I, 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 I think that's right. But, I mean, at, at the end of the day, um, if we're trying to achieve housing that's going to be good for the end user and we're not using examples of developments where we can actually ask the end user what they think of it, you know, we're just really sort of just guessing. You know, it's, not a, it's not very forensic. It probably comes down again to what we are talking about before about good design as mm-hmm. well and there's obviously wonderful examples of 40 square metre apartments but there's also some really terrible ones. So yeah, of, of 60 square metres. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I've stayed in Japan in micro apartments that were marvellous. Yeah, mm. that's right. So I think that you know, when planning, big is not always better mm. and you can see a lot of that really good architecture in small inner city developments whether it's infill, extensions or whether it's um, apartment living. You know, I think you can do a lot with small spaces and there's lots of architects that we work with that achieve that really well. So I'm always a little bit hesitant to try and you know, say, well, you can only have a certain percentage of these or a certain percentage of those because it just seems very arbitrary. On, on a personal level, have you experienced failure in a planning sense and what, what consequence did this have for you? Well, I, I haven't. I've never had any failures <laughs> in, a, in a planning sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I Maybe lots of in a personal sense, but in a planning sense, I don't think I could sit here and uh, identify any particular failures I've had. I'm sure Dan will be able to help. <laughs> yeah, I've had plenty. In fact, I uh, when I was uh, reading your questions beforehand, Pete, I uh, the first email that popped up was one that was a, a failure that I needed to deal with, and I won't mention the council, but uh, I think what's really interesting in that that concern was that we had no communication with, with council and I think that's the, the key if you can try and have some um, good, whether it's even an email or a phone call or, or the like, just the ability to have some level of communication where there's an understanding on both sides mm. is the best way to avoid that. And um, merely that this council, we're meeting with them later in the week to lodge a new application and, and even look at some procedures that 
we can suggest to them to avoid that sort of thing happening where mm. there was no communication and a refusal just turns up. So mm. the, yeah. the Shire of Never Never Land. That's that's exactly the one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now this is something we've spoken about with a couple of our other interviewees about um, examining the consequences of planning policies. Do you see or would you anticipate um, a festival of dangerous ideas as being sort of a good idea so that we can start to challenge some of the status quo that we have in terms of policy in the industry? Right. Um, well, uh, this wouldn't I'd actually happen, I'd, I'd like by the, the way. I like the festival of, of dangerous ideas. It sort of makes me feel about like the house of flying daggers. Yeah. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I think you'd be really good in the festival I, of dangerous ideas. I'd like it. I think that I could probably come up with a few good yeah. dangerous ideas and I'd be pretty quickly, I think, kicked out of the festival. But, <laughs> you know, I think that there'd be uh, the ability to have that type of an examination about it. I mean, how do you start it? I mean, well, well what would you start with? I mean, I think that perhaps we could start with… Uh, about thinking outside the box yeah. and, um, you know, just challenging some of the things that we put forward on a day-to-day basis. Mm, I'm trying to think of an example of something that's dangerous that we could put forward in planning. Um, what about what about reversing the planning process where you have a council meeting at the very end to decide what's happening? What if you had that at the start? You had that is that that's not very dangerous, Dan. That's that's <laughs> probably I I was thinking more of like um uh something that actually was life-threatening, you know, in terms of that sense, but you know, whether or not, you know, if you That goes so extreme. Well, I was thinking maybe if you know, if you had a planning proposal that um, you got a refusal for, you had to go to jail or something. You know, maybe, maybe rather you'd spend some jail jail time. There'd be real jail time for bad planning proposals. Mm. Yeah, right. That's certainly dangerous. Um, <laughs> Google the Google's company motto is "Do no evil." What motto would you like? I, I talked to Dan about this before, and uh, I think that we want to call it. Um, uh, be like Dan. Be like Dan, as in the little stick figure that people probably saw a while ago on social media where you know Dan goes out for dinner, Dan doesn't take a photo of his food and put it on social media. Dan's a good guy. Be like Dan. That's that's what we think. Don't you think, Dan? I'm very flattered by that, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Be like Dan. I'm surprised you don't have a company motto. Um, maybe, uh, well, eat, what, what's eat, your eat, internal eat, motto? Maybe, I think it's eat, pray, love. <laughs> No, it's uh, uh, who dares wins. No, what is it? It's uh, does it have to be three words? Three words only, is it? It can be as many words Mm. as you like. Um, I always thought it was uh, to assume makes an ass out of you and me. uh, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, just moving along, what new technologies are you inspired by? Yeah, I think um, for me, it's uh, some of the advancements in uh, what architects are able to bring to the table in terms of uh, fly-throughs. uh, modeling that we talked about earlier, 3D printing, exactly. Um, but also um, the ability for uh, applications to be modified quickly, um, rather than that old system where the architect would go, oh, "I'm going to need two weeks to change these mm. plans to modify to meet council's concerns." Uh, hope there'll be a day when we can all sit around a table and uh, the architect can uh, use his laptop or, or the like, and mm. or her laptop, and make sure there's a, a change quickly and throw it in front of the planning office and say, there we go, is that what you're looking for? Mm. And uh, deal with it that way. We've spoken a little bit about um, electric cars and um, driverless cars. What are, are we, your thoughts? When, when, when were we talking about Oh, sorry. Oh. Pete and I oh, right. have spoken a lot okay. about them in, in previous podcasts, yeah. if you listen to them. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, they were, they were really good. I really <laughs> like those ones. That one with Shepard, excellent. 
What are your thoughts on driverless cars? Have you? I've, I've got big thoughts on this. I'm a bit of a car fanatic, so the idea of sitting in the passenger seat and being driven around doesn't appeal to me at all, <laughs> despite all the, uh, the positives from an environmental point of view. But, uh, yeah, um, I think there's certainly positives, but... Uh, do you think that will change? Something nice our... and old-fashioned about being able to sit behind the wheel and change gears in a manual. Yeah. Do you think it will change our entire system? I think it has the potential to. Mm. I, I think if you think about it these days, the only time Dave and I would talk about this is it's a good way to get home from the pub on a Friday night with a <laughs> driverless car. But uh, Driverless car, yeah. Mm. And what are you currently reading, watching or listening to that inspires you? Ooh. I'm currently reading the uh, Whittlesey Housing Diversity Strategy. Inspires, inspires, inspires. The word was inspires. <laughs> I'll put you to sleep. It's, it's inspiring, and I'm representing them in, at uh, VK oh, tomorrow. So, uh, yeah. um, watching the Kettering incident, though. All right, Tasmania, lovely place. Yeah. Um, I like to read like um, comics and stuff. You know, I still like the Phantom, but I find that inspiring. Goes to walks, um, watching. Uh, I've been, you know, watching the cats all season. That's been inspiring me, and uh, especially Jimmy Bartell with his beard evermore. You know, I think that's inspirational. Um, listening to um, what else? I Besides our podcast, apart from the podcast, obviously, yeah. uh, um, I like listening to R and B Fridays. Is that is that cool on uh, Fox? That's you know, <laughs> like, yeah, like R and B Fridays. I think that's uh, that inspires me. I sort of get out of bed. You know. I, thought, I thought you were more of a hip hop fan. Yeah, well, you know, you, know, yeah. you don't find hip hop Fridays though. So R and B Friday is still pretty cool. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dan, and uh, Jess for PX nineteen. Uh, readers can go to uh, our website www.planningexchange.org for further information. So thank you for our, this is our first double interview, and we very much appreciate your time. Excellent. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. Keep it getting some kind of